0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black.
0: Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Robert Gidds, Associate Administrator for Mission Support Director at NASA. Prior to joining uh, the senior executive service, Mr. Gibbs served in the Navy and retired as a Navy officer. Uh, He was born and raised in Boston. Uh, He holds a Bachelor of Arts in Business Management at the University of Washington and a JD from the George Mason University. He's a member of the Maryland Bar. Mr. Gibbs is a recipient of numerous military awards and citations, and he's a family man with four kids in Maryland. So, Mr. Gibbs, it's such a huge honor to have you here on the show today. Welcome to Leaders and Legends.
1: Well, thank you, Eileen. It's, uh, It's my pleasure to be here.
0: So, Bob, this is a show about leadership. So, I gotta have to ask you our, our our you know key question. Can you describe your leadership style?
1: Yeah, you know that's that's a really interesting question, Eileen. I get this one quite frequently, and I'm never quite sure how to answer it. To be honest, you know, I don't know that leadership really has a style. I mean, it has to be adapted to every situation, every circumstance, the thing you're trying to do. And I was always far less concerned with leadership style than I was. But what are we going to do as leaders? How are we going to solve problems? How are we going to accomplish the mission and take care of our folks? So I've always struggled with that. I mean, I think we could talk about some leadership principles, maybe take this in a little bit different direction if that works for you. Sure it does. What key principles do you
0: focus on when you're leading your teams?
1: Yeah, I think maybe the first place I would start is communication, right? Uh, Bob Cabana, our associate administrator right now, I would tell you, He always says that a lot of leadership comes down to communication. You know, have you communicated effectively with the folks that you're working with? You know, have you been able to describe the problem in such a way or or find ways to motivate and support your folks so they can go out and solve problems that they're facing on a daily basis? I think that's incredibly important. I think some of the most critical parts of leadership, and this may sound kind of silly, but I think it's listening, you know really understanding the problems that you're facing, really understanding what you're trying to accomplish, you know, what your folks are up against. Um, You know, I get asked uh, uh, fairly frequently to help other organizations and other agencies look at problems they're having in either the people or support world. And, you know, I would say a vast majority of those kind of come down to listening and understanding what the problem really is. And that's always sort of the first step, you know, um, From my perspective, you know, one of the incredible things about leadership, one of the things I think is so important is you kind of have to be committed to some some things. And for me, one of those things is, you know, the best idea has to win. You know, when you're when you're working through transformation or opportunities to leverage opportunities to try and find a way to leverage a certain circumstance, respond to a threat. You know, you have to be willing to say, okay, folks, what is the best idea? And I will tell you my experience at NASA, sometimes that doesn't come from the executive suite. It comes from sort of the deck plates on up. A lot of the things that we've done, you know, we have to be willing to put our egos aside and listen for the sort of the best idea. Maybe the last sort of principle when you talk about leadership style is you got to be yourself. You know, you really have to be who you are. You know, your folks, you know, they're not they're not dumb. They're going to they're going to see someone who lacks authenticity from from a mile away. You have to be willing to accept and understand you don't have all the answers, but you're putting service sort of first and you're willing to listen and to understand and, and pursue sort of the bigger goal.
0: I can see why you've been so successful at leading teams across, uh, very vast types of organizations, especially at NASA. Your your, your team in particular just like touches everything. Um, so when you're talking to different audiences, different age groups, uh, different um, di- more diversity in it, do you change your style or do you approach things differently?
1: Yeah, you have to, right? I mean, I had the opportunity to speak to some third and fourth graders, and it's a very different conversation than when I'm talking to high school kids or business groups or all the rest of it. You definitely have to tailor your message and understand, you know, how are you going to communicate in a way that's effective for your audience to hear it. I got to tell you, some of those third and fourth graders asked some pretty hard questions. I got it. They, they, they have, they did not hold back. They had some pretty funny, pretty funny questions. What was the funniest you know i think when i was asking them questions and one of the kids just kept turning everything around back at me and saying well what would you do in that circumstance and i just i just thought you know this uh this is either a a future president or congressman or something but this kid was remarkable And and i just love their enthusiasm one of the great things about nasa is its its mission inspires everyone right for the benefit of all is one of the one of our big principles And just watching the excitement in the young kids as we have these conversations about, you know, what does the world hold for possibilities for them? Absolutely inspiring and really recharges your batteries. What a great opportunity that was.
0: Working at an an incredible place like NASA and being uh, such an amazing and lasting impact leader there. Was there an event or a person that inspired you that had a tremendous impact on you and the leader that you've become today?
1: Yeah, I, I love this question. Um, there's a group of people, if you kind of look at leadership traits, and some of this is personal, and some of this is very professional, you know. Mm-hmm. I would talk to, you, talk to you about, you know, courage, and my daughter, who's a cancer survivor, and my brother, who had a lot of medical issues, has passed. They were, they were the walking definition of courage in the face of adversity. You know, I take so much from watching the way they approach life, and boy, it makes it hard to complain about traffic and some of the smaller things. Um, I think integrity is incredibly important. And I had the, the, the opportunity to work for Admiral Donald and Steve Troutman at the Naval Nuclear Propulsion Program for about a decade. And they were the demonstration of integrity in the face of hard decisions. You know, it was, it was one of those defining leadership moments. Um, I, I think, you know, when you talk about defining leadership, Um, I worked for Ernie Moniz, who was the Secretary of Energy when I was the Chief Human Capital Officer there. And our leadership team here at NASA, I mean, I have the incredible opportunity to work for, no kidding, American heroes. You know, our leadership team, you know, Bob Cabana, Bill Nelson, Pam Melroy, these are American heroes that I think define and demonstrate leadership on a regular basis. Um, So there's so many people. That have contributed to my leadership journey. That I'm so thankful that they were put in my path, and I've learned so much.
0: What was the most important advice? I mean, you you work with legends. You are legends, but you've worked with many <laughs> legends. What was the one piece of advice that just really is stuck to you?
1: Yeah, you know, I had a boss early on back when I was a member of the uh, United States Navy as an enlisted guy before I became an officer. He said, take the hard jobs and do well with them. And it it sounds simplistic enough, but it really sends a really strong signal that you're willing, you know, to put service above self, take the hard job, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's difficult, and really try and do your best with it. I think that was one piece of advice that stuck with me for decades that I thought was incredibly important.
0: Leadership is a major focus in military training, and and you of course served in the Navy for for decades, Um, you're a retired Naval officer. What lessons have you learned as a military leader that you feel would be helpful for all leaders?
1: Well, I think there are a couple of things that happen when you're in the military that I'm not sure happen in all organizations and all structures. First it's your thrust into leadership at a very young age. You know, you are you are put in a position of leadership, even if it's a small team or a watch section, whatever it might be, that happens very early on. So I think that's, you know, having the opportunity to, you know, to be a leader, I think is incredibly important. And the earlier it happens, you know, you can learn from your experiences kind of as you go forward. I think the principle of service above self um, is incredibly important. You know, I will tell you, it's sort of about getting the mission accomplished. And that is one of those principles that I find that is really deep here at NASA. You'd say NASA and the military are about as far apart, you know, culturally as organizations could be. But I got to tell you, there's one sort of really strong current that runs through them both. And it's about getting the job done, about accomplishing the mission and caring about those you're with. Um, It's done differently in the military than it is at NASA, but it's every bit as strong in the culture.
0: What obstacles and challenges did you encounter on a personal level that you had to overcome in order to achieve that effective leadership to to put mission first, for an example, um, you know, above yourself for your team to be able to achieve success?
1: Yeah, yeah, there's always, you know, there's a variety of obstacles that show up when you're trying to walk that path, right? And trying to be a leader and trying to be successful with a challenging mission, whether it's in the United States Navy, the Department of Energy, or here at NASA. I think there's there's a variety of them. But I think for me, most of the time, they they kind of get back to culture and really understanding the culture of the organization, the culture how decisions are made, you know, culture how service is, you know, sort of put forth and the culture of, you know, how are we really going to take care of our folks and get our job done? Um, and, I, and I have certainly made my share of mistakes, you know, along these paths. But, uh, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to excel, you know, when you make a mistake and you can recover from it. I think failing and learning from that failure um, is probably one of the better lessons on a leader's journey.
0: I'm speaking with Robert Gibbs, Associate Administrator for the Mission Support Director of NASA. After a break, we'll t- discuss how to handle the important decisions and how to make them in good times or in crisis. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm speaking with Robert Gibbs, Associate Administrator for the Mission Support Director at NASA. So, Bob, let's talk about leadership and the approach leaders take when making organizational decisions. I mean, how do you approach how to decide what you will do or how a decision made? Is it a group? Is it, you know, do you approach it differently depending upon the situation?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it does depend. I guess my answer to your question would be, well, neither of those things and perhaps both. You know, I think, you know, sometimes we have to work. Yeah, in a very collaborative way. In fact, we should be working in a collaborative way to really understand what's going on and the problems that we're facing, where we're going with things, you know, to really fully understand, to develop what the challenge is, to bound the, the context of that challenge, and then look for the path forward. Um, I, I think that's incredibly important and it will depend on the circumstance. But if you were fighting a house fire, I don't know if you'd want, you know, necessarily a a group meeting and then followed by another meeting, perhaps another meeting and then a collaboration. Sometimes decisions have to be executed. And it's not necessarily what I've found to be the problem with, you know, making the decision. It's that point between decision and execution sometimes where we get lost a little bit and sort of come off the trail of what we're trying to do and what we're hoping to do. Um, you know, you, I think you have to tighten up the decision velocity to the execution point. And I think that's incredibly important about maintaining momentum as you're working through some of these issues.
0: What accomplishments? I mean, you've done some incredible things, but what is the one that comes to mind that you're most proud of you were able to lead your your team to accomplish? I mean, there's been some pretty difficult things you've faced
1: yeah you know i think it goes into transformation right those opportunities transform business processes that serve the mission i think i had a great example of sort of you know looking at how we were recruiting and solving recruiting issues in the naval nuclear propulsion pipeline where we able to you know bring women into roles that were previously uh reserved for men i think that was incredibly important and the department of energy i think really taking a look at you know, how do we provide service to bring in the best and the brightest to serve this incredibly important national priority? And how do we structure those fish- businesses to be more efficient, more effective? Um, I think that was a heck of a challenge, and I'm very proud that we were able to do all of the things that we were under leadership of Secretary Moniz. And here at NASA, you know, transformation takes on a whole new context, right? Because the agency is about continuous transformation and solving the hardest problems. It's in our veins, it's what we do, but, you know, working through transformation that isn't funded, you know, just a of discretionary effort and the backs of incredible people. I'm just blown away every day with folks I get to work with and really pushing for transformation of the mission architecture, our business processes that support the agency support the mission. That, that's been a great experience. That's been something that we're not done with by a long stretch, but boy, I've been really proud of the
0: folks and what they've been able to do so far. Your organization and their roles and responsibilities touch, as I mentioned before, all things NASA—from hiring people to launching rockets. Uh, I was doing some research and learned that you were, you know, working to get uh, funding from Congress to fix bridges and and making sure that the infrastructure works so that we can. We can accomplish the mission that NASA is achieving uh, for the United States. Your leadership and organization are crucial to the success of NASA. You stated in the past in the interview, if you look at the structure of NASA, we have people who care about the work and we have leaders who care about their people. NASA's associate administration, um, th- that, that is the cultural fabric of NASA that is woven into pretty much everything that you do. What is the relationship from your perspective between leadership and culture, and how does that affect the culture there at NASA?
1: Yeah, so this is a, this is a great, this is a great conversation on leadership when you talk about culture. You know, you know, culture, if you were to look at sort of a bullseye, and you put people and process and technology in the center, and then you have the The organization itself is the next ring, and the next ring outside of that would be sort of the outside, you know, world and all the impacts of external markets and forces. The ring outside of that that encompasses everything is culture. Culture impacts everything on that inside. You know, you always hear, you know, the culture is, you know, eat strategy for breakfast. Well, it probably does considerably more than that. You know, and there's good and bad. You've got to find a way to work within your culture and get decisions made and get, you know, things moving in hopefully the right direction. Um, You know, I would say one of the great, um, you know, evidence or products of our culture here at NASA is our engagement. Our folks are engaged with the mission 100%. You can walk into any line of business in NASA and you'll get folks who are just passionately committed to what they're working on in support of the mission. I think that's incredibly important. You know, some of the bigger barriers you might face occasionally are in culture too, right? When you talk about, you know, treating everyone as family, well, that might force you to make business decisions, you know, based on the culture of the organization that may not be in the best interest of that agency or organization. So it kind of has two sides of the coin, but here at NASA, I will tell you, we are heavily weighted to the positive side of culture that helps us get our job done every single day and to do kind of amazing and inspiring things.
0: I believe you're spot on that the right culture can really make the difference between an organization being able to be, have the right trajectory or grit, as you put it earlier, to actually get the mission done. The difference between making a decision and actually execution. I think the difference is your culture and your people. Um, I've heard you've been described as a change agent and, uh, how do you approach leading an organization to adopt change? I mean, there's some pretty big challenges right now with NASA. You have a big mission ahead of yourself. Um, space is the next frontier and will be for the next couple of decades, right? And funding has not always been there for what NASA needs to get things done. So how do you, how do you, you know, um, lead your team through that change with some of the headwinds that you're facing right now?
1: Yeah, there never is enough dollars, right? I, mean, I think that's a, a fair, fair thing to say. You know, we're, we're dealing with some heck of infrastructure challenges right now, right? We're, we're dealing with sort of Apollo era infrastructure that we're trying to uh, invest in and reinvigorate to make sure America continues to be uh, the preeminent leader of the space uh, industry as we are today and, and we will be in the future. Um, I think, you know, giving people the opportunity to excel, finding ways to remove barriers from their path, you know, really setting out a clear vision for expectations of where we're going and why we're doing it, and then getting back to the communication again, right? We talked about communication a little bit earlier. If you're really looking at transformation, and I've had the opportunity to lead transformations in three really large organizations, um, you know, you cannot communicate enough. And when you think you've communicated enough, you're probably wrong. You know, uh, from from my experience, you know, change, transformation is not for the weak heart or half committed. It is a very difficult business. And, and, you know, the lessons you will learn in the path of transformation are, are absolutely uh, critical. You know, the one I think that always strikes me is never underestimate the power of status quo. Because that's where people are comfortable, and that's where they were, especially an organization like NASA that's been successful for a long period of time. You know, you have to continually communicate the need for change and talk about where we're going and why we're doing it. And understand that transformation is an organizational principle, but it happens on a very individual basis. You know, everyone goes through transformation at a different pace, at a different rate. Um, but it is, it is for me, it's probably the thing that drives me the most is the opportunity to put an organizational place to be successful in the future. I think is always one of the things that drives me on a personal level.
0: Any stories you can share about how you faced an obstacle and you got through it?
1: Yeah, well, I can give you lots of stories. Uh, I'm not sure all of them are appropriate for the podcast. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> what I tell you from, from my experience, you know, Walking in with a set of assumptions saying, you know what, this is the plan that we have to follow. This is what we really need to do. And then having someone who's very junior in the organization go, yeah, I'm not sure that's right, boss. And then kind of walk you through what they were thinking. And then you have to sit there for a moment and say, wow, I've got to put my ego at the door here. Listen to the advice. Listen to the words that are being spoken and understand what's being said. I would tell you, you know, when we went through transformation in the uh, office of the chief human capital officer, the people business here at NASA, the structure we thought we were going to end up with is not the structure we ended up with. Someone very junior in the organization had a better idea. So I think that's, you know, probably an example of, you know, our best idea should win and, and putting the ego on the shelf here a little bit and understanding what the goals and objectives were, you know, so that might be, you know perhaps one of the, the more important stories
0: that I can share with you. I'm speaking with Mr. Robert Gibbs, Associate Administrator for Mission Support Director at NASA. Coming up next, we'll talk about leading organizations to change. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and I'm speaking today with Mr. Robert Gibbs, Associate Administrator for Mission Support for the Directorate at NASA. In the last segment, we talked a lot about change and some of the challenges. Times of crisis have historically always been great opportunities for change. Um, I believe there are plenty of opportunities for crisis events. Uh, recently, um, so how are we going to deal with the issues associated with Russia? I mean, today, uh, many of the spa- for the space shuttle, I know that we're uh, we're working with uh, Russia to uh, reach the space station, um, how, how, how are we going to deal with this? I mean, is this something that America needs to be a little bit concerned about, that we're a little bit too dependent on some nations that may we may not have the best relationships with in right now and in the future?
1: Yeah, this is certainly a, a current item of interest because of the news and all the things going on uh, with Russia and Ukraine and other places. But let me start maybe in a little different place and talk about, you know, throughout the pandemic, NASA has led, you know, and we will continue to lead, you know, aerospace, space, and in our, you know, partners in industry and international partners as we go forward. You know, think about it during the pandemic where you're able to launch American astronauts from American soil on American rockets, and we're able to launch the James Webb which is seeking to really change our understanding of the universe. There's a ton of work going on in climate, aero, and, and so many incredible things. You know, I think if you're going to bet on one organization to be able to solve the hardest problems in the hardest context, I think NASA would be a pretty good bet. You know, everything I've seen, and I'm not a life or NASA guy. I've been here, you know, four and a half, five years. You know, everything I've seen, the people I've experienced, you know, lead me to the inescapable conclusion that, boy, even in the world of, you know, demanding science and unforgiving technology, this is an organization structured and set up to find a way to solve the problems and inspire the world. And I think it's a pretty, pretty awesome place. You know, we have to maintain our professional relationships. Um, In this industry with Russia and others, and we will continue to do those. We've been doing this for over 20 years on the space station. You know, we have long established professional relationships that have continued throughout the crisis that we're facing today across the globe. Um, And I think we're going to continue to do that until there's a reason not to, I guess. Um, We have to demand responsible behavior from our partners. You know, we've seen, you know, recently where Russia conducted the ASAT test, an anti-satellite test, which created a lot of space debris, which is problematic for low Earth orbit and some of the things that we do in in that part of space. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping as we work through the Artemis Accords and more international companies, more international countries and companies kind of sign on to this behavior, as we go forward, I'm hoping it will set a framework for ethical behavior and use of space.
0: If you were to get one thing for Congress to say yes to, what would it be in this area?
1: Yeah, infrastructure, <laughs> right? Uh, here I am, again, I'm gonna sort of pitch my own concerns. The great thing that keeps me up at night is the our infrastructure. No more dollars are going to unplanned failures across the agency. And everything from laboratories to launch pads you know for all the things that we're responsible for um as an agency that i'm responsible to help the missions to be successful in accomplishing their mission um we're doing with a lot of really really old infrastructure and our failure rates are above what you would expect Uh, we're having real issues uh maintaining the infrastructure that we have we're working really hard to understand and prioritize, but at the end of the day, if you don't have enough dollars, you don't have enough dollars. So I would tell you from my perspective, the thing that keeps me up at night, there's two things that keep me up at night. First is infrastructure, second is people. You know, working in this environment, accomplishing all that we have, I get worried about burnout of our folks. You know, frankly, I think that's, you know, one of my bigger concerns as well. But yeah, the one thing would be infrastructure.
0: Um, we talked about culture and leadership uh, earlier in the show, but uh, most importantly, I've heard all over and over again from you is, is your people. The biggest battlefield right now is retention and recruiting of talent. Um, Silicon Valley is, you know it, it is definitely where the battlefield is isn't it? and it is all about a war about talent. A high retention and uh, effective recruitment is key. And I know you're an expert in this area. Um, We need the brightest and the best, which we definitely have, but we need to continue to recruit them there at NASA. What are your thoughts about, um, you know, the the recruitment and what the U.S. government needs to do to retain these incredible and recruit these integral people in these crucial positions at locations and organizations like NASA?
1: Yeah, this is this is a really interesting, you know, the future of work is a really interesting topic. And I will tell you off the start, I don't think anyone has this completely figured out when I talk with folks in industry and folks, you know, across the government, um, I I am convinced that no one has solved this problem yet because I don't think it's ready to be solved yet. What I would tell you, though, is NASA is uh, probably one of those places to work that people are, are inspired to come and work for. We have incredibly low attrition. For every job we open, we'll probably get over 300 applications. We're probably the most selective organization in the world. And for our astronaut classes, we'll get over 18,000 applications. So we have a different sort of context of the conversation about when we're talking about how do you develop that sort of sustainable, competitive, balance advantage for talent. Well, I think there are some things in our culture that are, are really sort of underpinning that competitive advantage we have when we're looking for talent. And I think doing challenging work on meaningful things is incredibly important for folks, giving them the opportunity to be involved and solve the hardest problems that face really the world. I mean, that type of thing, you know, can be found in so many places. But here at NASA, that is absolutely sort of stock and trade a bit, you know, where we have those opportunities to have some brilliant folks sort of do amazing things. You know, I always get that question, well, what makes NASA different? How do I be more like NASA? And I tell folks, you know, our mission is incredible. You know, what we're asked to do inspires the world. But the real difference in NASA is, again, getting back to people that care about the mission and leaders that care about the people. Again, it circles all the way back to culture, I guess you know when you're really looking for what kind of drives the competitive advantage that we have today and that we're going to have in the future you know as i from my perspective we're working on the right things we're looking what does the nasa 5 10 20 years look like in the future how do we collaborate how do we compete you know and this is this is a a normal conversation in leadership which is pretty neat you
0: know today there's just so many articles out there in regards to empathetic leadership. What are your thoughts about that, and you know the people that you lead?
1: Yeah, I think it's a developed skill, um, absolutely critical. You know, to to be that person if you're trying to have a sustained high-performing organization. And I, I got to tell you, when I was a young military officer, I don't know that I had those skills. You know, I I just, you know, those things we developed over time and watching what my daughter went through, we talked a little bit earlier, really kind of really hit me right between the eyes that maybe I didn't really fully understand, you know, how to be a good leader until I fully understood and cared about my folks um, on a deeper level than I did perhaps previously. It's one of those lessons learned. Um, you know, the, the one of the few silver linings in that experience with my daughter, Karina that I think that really drove me to a different place behave differently, to change the way I looked at things. Um, so for that, I'm thankful, I guess, you know, that, that's certainly, I, I don't know how you can be a leader today and not, and not have that empathy and understanding for your folks.
0: You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network, I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm speaking with Robert Gibbs, Associate Administrator for the Mission Support Director of NASA. Next, we'll find out Bob's advice to the next generation of leaders. Again, you're listening on Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network, I'm Aileen Black. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm speaking with Mr. Robert Gibbs, Associate Administrator for Mission Support Director at NASA. Bob, I'd like to take a step back and talk a little bit about your background where did you grow up and what was your first job? Did you have papers? Did you, you know, was the Navy your first job? Tell me a little about your background.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in the suburbs of Boston. I was born in Boston. I grew up in the suburbs um, from a pretty large family. Uh, First jobs were always family jobs. You know, if you're working for your grandfather, who's a little exacting, it's a a little challenging. There's no such thing as failure and just an opportunity to do it again when you're not completely satisfied with what you're working on. Um, I went to an agricultural high school where you know you work for six months of the year, and that was just sort of the part and parcel of that program. What a, it was a great experience; certainly helped cement my work ethic. Uh, you know, joined the United States Navy at uh, a young age, out of college, and had an opportunity to go through officer of candidate school, which was great. Came back as an officer, worked in nuclear propulsion for a while, then energy, and then NASA. So it's a long-storied and varied career.
0: Uh, describe your career path and how your focus and time horizon changed as you took on senior positions, that it changed the way what your thoughts were about managing versus leading or, or, you know, a- as it developed, as you got into bigger organizations, for an example.
1: Yeah, I absolutely had a had an idea how I thought things were going to be going to work. And to be honest, I was wrong every single time. <laughs> you know, your career is not a linear line. It just isn't a straight line. It's a, a lot of broken paths, It's a lot of opportunities. It's a lot of challenges. Um, it requires a lot of tenacity and perseverance, you know, to go after the things that you really find meaningful. Um, but the biggest lesson I learned, as soon as you think you have it figured out, you probably don't. And that was absolutely true throughout my career.
0: So tell us, you know a little bit why you joined nasa that was a pretty big jump i mean everybody dreams of being an astronaut right i i know very few people who haven't at some point in their life didn't dream to join nasa but tell us about why you joined nasa and a little bit about your role
1: yeah you know um well first how do you not join nasa right i mean that's that's (laughs) when nasa comes knocking say hey we'd love for you to come lead transformation you know it's really funny because i had a great conversation with uh you know, Robert Lightfoot, who's the administrator at the time, and I came home and I was telling my 14-year-old son about it. He said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go work for NASA. And he couldn't have been more excited. And he he just, I mean, was grimming with excitement. And then Jack goes, you know, Dad, are you going to be an astronaut? And I said, no, Jack, I'm not going to be an astronaut. And he looked at me with such great disappointment, just going, and walked out of the room. I mean, it was horrible, right? I mean, it was this great. I had this great moment. I thought of, you know, achieving some career pinnacle. I felt great. And the 14-year-old was able to... Def- Bust my bubble there in about uh, 11 seconds. So, you know, one of those moments of humility. Um, you know, so coming to NASA, I had worked on a variety of transformation uh, things in the human capital world. And I knew, and they asked me to come over and help them with a project they were working on. And I kind of gave them some very honest feedback. Um, and somehow that seemed like a good job addition to come and be their next chief human capital officer. And it was uh, it was an opportunity. I was actually headed to the private sector, but uh, this was an opportunity I couldn't pass up, and I've loved it every day since.
0: If you, have, if you were a listener out there and wanted to get involved with NASA, maybe following your footsteps in some way, shape, or form, is there programs or something that you would recommend? Mm-hmm
1: yeah so remember nasa's kind of a weird place right we're a highly leveraged workforce only one-third of us are feds two-thirds are contractors so there's a lot of organizations that work with and around nasa you know we have an enormous intern class i think probably over 1200 this year so there's plenty of opportunity for folks to get involved on an intern basis somewhere in our agency and somewhere in this organization um you know usa jobs is where we post the federal positions um, but there's so many people, you know, in the agency that are more than willing to talk to you about what they do and, and how they get to where they are. It, you know, I'd almost hesitate to say that, you know, you could reach out to anyone in the agency and they're more than willing to talk to you about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And uh we're always on the lookout for exceptional talent. And that's just the, the reality of our business.
0: Well, as the chief human capital officer, you probably can see what the big careers that are coming up, especially in the area of space. Uh, There's no doubt that space is one of the biggest growing industries and opportunities in the future. Is there a particular field of study that you would uh, tell your your son or daughter to study in school?
1: You know, I'd say get a good grounding in STEM, you know, learn the fundamentals and learn them really, really well. You know, understand how the natural world works, you know, use calculus-based physics, understand and do very well the core competencies of the STEM world because that will serve you well regardless of where you go, right? If it's NASA or anywhere else, I think that gives you a foundation to be successful kind of as you're going forward, you know, sort of, you know, remembering back to the naval nuclear propulsion when they were doing their sort of interview process, which is pretty, pretty tough one to get through as well. It talked about intellectual horsepower, the ability to communicate orally and written, and the ability to think and lead. You know, Those are the core critical competencies that I think you have to have to be successful in any field kind of going forward. And those are the things that when I'm having a conversation, whether it's an interview or otherwise, that I'm looking for um, when we're talking about bringing talent into the agency, you, know, I, you have to figure out how how this person can demonstrate the knowledge, skills, and abilities um, that lead you down the path to say, wow, this person would be a great fit for what we're trying to do.
0: Now you have four kids, correct?
1: I do. I do. I
0: have, I have four kids too. So any final pearls of wisdom that you have for that generation? Um, my son is starting an internship today, unfortunately not at NASA, but another great company here in the Washington DC area. What What is your pearls of, of wisdom to to that generation?
1: You know, I think don't be afraid to express who you are and what you're about. Understand that you're part of an organization and you're trying to achieve the organization's mission. Work hard, again, take the hardest jobs you can, you know, as you go forward. Um, but I, I am inspired, you know, by the generation coming up. You know, they're they're absolutely, they think differently and I think they look at problems differently and they assimilate information differently. And honestly, I think all of those are good things. So I think all of those things are, well, different from perhaps you or I and how we approach life. I'm I'm super excited for what the future holds.
0: You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Robert Gidds, Associate Administrator for Mission Support and Director at NASA. Bob, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some seriously valuable advice.
1: Well, thank you, Eileen. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening.
1: You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.